We're on a worldwide search to see what inclusive education looks like. So Blackboard Ally is going on tour for 2019, visiting campuses around the globe to learn how they're tackling their toughest accessibility challenges and improving the learning experience for all their students. Welcome back to the second episode of the Ally Tour podcast series. So after a quick flight from Jersey to Massachusetts, I've arrived here at Lesley University in Cambridge, where the passion for social justice for equity is really at the core of the campus. It was actually founded in 1909 by Edith Leslie out of her home to train women to be kindergarten teachers. And so that tradition, it really continues today. They, they have a big emphasis around teacher education, counseling, other professions related to empathy and the public good. And so this is a faculty who are not only teaching and researching and working around in inclusive education, but now they're starting to think about how can we make our content and our learning experience more accessible. And so I'm gonna sit down here with the e-learning instructional support team to hear a little bit about how they're helping instructors use Ally to make their courses more accessible. Let's hear from the team. Maybe we'll just get started. So I'm sitting down with the with the team at Lesley University here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Very cold day outside. I'm freezing. <laughs> I should have brought some gloves with me. But um, let's just get started with a quick round of introductions, starting on my left. My name is Robin Belair, and I'm an instructional designer here in this department at Lesley University. Okay. Uh, Christina McElroy, I'm the director of academic technology. Danielle Powell, I'm an instructional technologist. Hi, I'm Heather Tilbert Webb, Associate Provost for Systems and Planning and um, responsible for the department that's deploying Ally and also partner quite a bit with faculty on uh, universal design for learning um, to make sure that we're thinking about how to make our coursework as accessible as possible, uh, particularly from a digital standpoint. All right, thank you. And so just, you know, maybe thinking back to some of your processes for working with faculty, creating courses uh, before Ally, where was accessibility in terms of the priorities? How were faculty thinking about accessibility, if at all? We started a venture upwards of three years ago, um, coming out of the school's general counsel office, not specifically focused on things that Ally has been showing us recently, but more broadly, how to be more proactive with making digital content more accessible, both public-facing uh, web pages and what's behind our firewall in the LMS. And from the instructional technology perspective? I would say for online courses, we were very much in a supportive role for the course designs. And then, but we also support on-campus courses, but I would say that would be more when an instructor volunteered themselves or had questions. Uh, disability services was mainly handling documented accommodations, but occasionally we would get instructors who were curious or wanted to learn, and so we would try to assist where we could. Working with faculty through that process, were you using like Acrobat to check stuff or were you using the, the word or was it more just kind of best practices that you were aware I would of? Say best, best practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, for me, it was a few years, a little bit before Robin's initiative that she was working on, I had been asked to create a bunch of documentation. So, as part of that documentation, I learned all the things I was supposed to do that I wasn't. <laughs> so, trying to change my own 
process of how I was creating content, um, in, mainly in Word and things like that, and how I was creating PDFs, and then trying to, as I talked to people, disseminate that. But it was very hit or miss, a little here, a little there, and, and trying to remember to do that stuff myself. And was the process for kind of creating that documentation, just kind of going out onto the web, seeing what was out there? Yeah, yeah, sort of researching, um, you know, what were the issues that people were having. Um, I spent a, a lot of time on, um, oh, what's the site? Uh, web Aim. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on there uh, and sort of, and then trying to figure out what what is it, how do I then correct that? Uh, captioning was the biggest one then because it, there wasn't machine captioning really, or it wasn't available easily. So that wasn't an option. So that was the biggest sort of rabbit hole to get around. And just to get a sense, like, you know, you've been here for a while now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were kind of talking earlier, you know, are we seeing this big uptake in kind of using the HTML editors mm -hmm. and the WYSIWYG? So, I mean, early kind of stages, was it more just one document or what's lived in your LMS? So I would say when I first got here, um, very few of the on-campus teachers were also teaching online or vice versa. So now um, we have a lot of our online teachers because we don't have a, an online school. Um, the online programs and courses come out of the school. So a lot of those teachers don't just teach online. So whatever they learn when they go through to design an online course and use that technology, they then start to using their face-to-face -face courses. So they learn to use the assignment tools and they learn to create content and, you know, and they start to use that for their other students as well as appropriate. So therefore our usage went up a lot and our use of the, of the amount of content that went in. When they were kind of putting their courses online, were they working directly with the instructional designer or with you all, or were they doing it fairly on their own? It depends. Depends. Depends on the program. So most of the online courses use a template. There's a development shell that's the source for all the course content, and that gets copied into the shell that the instructor will be using to facilitate. But once that content is there, they can edit it and change things. But like what Chris just said about um, Campus-based courses, we don't necessarily put content for instructors in those shells. Nothing's pre-populated. So that's where the it depends thing yeah. kind of comes from. So the on-campus courses, it's whatever the instructor wants to do. They use it as little or as much as they want. But the online courses, obviously, they have to use it to some degree. And whether or not um, some of the programs work very closely with us. and. Um, do a lot of training for their faculty and other programs want to do their own thing um, so some start off with us and they kind of break off when they feel comfortable um, and others kind of keep coming back and it's more of a collaborative relationship and when did you start to feel accessibility becoming kind of more of a priority or more part of the, the mainstream conversation so I'm a new-ish member to this department. New-ish meaning I've been here for upwards of six years now. But before that, I was in the web department and accessibility was always something that we paid attention to there, but more along the lines of like how best practices and making things easier for people 
the read online, writing for the web, and things like that. Accessibility, from my perspective, in this department seems to have become more of a concerted effort with the, the working committee that came out of the general counsel's office a few years ago. And to take it a step further, the tie-in with universal design for learning, um, that's something that we've always talked about in our department, not necessarily saying the phrase UDL, but recognizing that a lot of faculty want to do these things and already do some of those, those uh, best practices without calling it UDL. But the more conservative effort under the larger umbrella of universal design for learning seems relatively new with our school. And it's coming from a lot of different units, which is really, really great to see. So you were, I mean, kind of thinking about inclusive design a little mm -hmm. bit as part of that course design process. Mm -hmm. Were there any particular practices or strategies that you were using it in some of those, some of those cases? Um, well, one is a little bit of a use case. We have the instructors go through a course design seminar as students. So, so they're in the seminar in Blackboard, but with a student role. So they get to see how the system actually works and behaves from the student perspective. Um, also, new to online instructors go through a two-week seminar with me where we cover more of the student experience, but also all the facilitation issues. And one of the things that I was thinking um, during your presentation earlier um, was highlighting Ally more in that teaching seminar because instructors can use that as another way to get their content out in front of people in different formats and use it as a, a natural teaching, I don't know how to, how to phrase it, I was gonna say teaching moment, but that's not quite the correct word, but like use it as another tool to get their material in front of students rather than it's just for there for accessibility purposes. Yeah, I love that. Because when you think about inclusive design and, and being inclusive, it really starts with that empathy piece mm -hmm. and putting them in the student's shoes and making them move through the course mm -hmm. seems like a great way to build mm -hmm. that empathy and understand it from the student perspective. Yeah, it's a bit of design thinking kind of really subtly put in there. Absolutely, yeah, that, that's very cool. Yeah, I think that um, from our perspective as a department, accessibility has been on the radar for a long time and Ally provided a tool where we could easily guide faculty towards some self-help resources some for some of the very basic um, elements of making their content accessible. Uh, we're at this moment, we're doing a tour of our school meetings to highlight the available tools with Ally and with some of other, our other closed captioning capabilities and some of our other technology tools. And we did a similar presentation three years ago, but it was just much more do it yourself mm -hmm. from a faculty perspective, you know, giving them the tools to, to do it, but it really wasn't as um, streamlined as Ally makes it for, from a faculty member's perspective. Exactly. Yeah. And from, and from, and showing how the student can benefit from it as well. So it just exactly. makes it so much more easy. Mm -hmm. That That's, yeah. And we, as uh, an institution with um, a school of education and a, a very heavy focus on universal design for learning accessibility, we have faculty who also are really interested in this, interested in um, building it into what they do. So this, again, just makes it that much easier for them to do that. It also allows them to sort of walk the walk instead of just talking about doing it. It makes it easier for them to apply what they're talking about. We really love the, um, just the 
self-help aspect to it, yeah. right? Where it walks mm -hmm. them through how to remedy issues as they arise. So maybe let's just jump back as you kind of mentioned with the websites and was that a kind of an eye opener that you started to then kind of reevaluate your process in general? Was it kind of just, we're going to tackle the websites first and then deal with other things? How did as an institution, you, you kind of take that on when it first came around? I think it just, it just raised the bar on having a systematic and process oriented way to address any external facing content. And, um, as sort of sitting, you know, where our department sits, because we focus on instructional technology and that touches faculty and students, I often sit in spaces that would connect our uh, accessibility in terms of, you know, student disability services and information technology. So in sitting on that broader focus on our external content um, committee, it, it raised the opportunity to present opportunities to, um, to address not the external facing content, but the materials we're using for teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would just say that it just made it a broader institutional effort, but I do feel like our commit to, commitment to accessibility has been there. It just, again, provides us with a tool to really make it actionable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the nicest things about Ally is that I didn't have to go, or we didn't have to go do a training or um, try to get the information out. It just popped up in their course with these gauges that said that their content was accessible or not and what the issues were. So then they're coming to us instead of us having to get their attention. I'd also say that our CIO at the time and then our CFO at the time were also very committed to a broader focus on accessibility. So even at the same time that we were signing our contract to implement Ally, we were instituting a policy that all of our larger enterprise-wide um, software purchases need a statement about accessibility which is harder to get um, buy-in from vendors than you would think. So we, we actually do make that as part of our process. If we're signing any large-scale contract, we require a statement about that vendor's commitment to make all of the, the, the tool accessible. So that's just another way that it, again, codified it. So at the time that we were considering implementing Ally, we had the strong buy-in from our business offices to make sure that we were doing that as well. So that's typically like in the form of a VPAT are you looking for? Or? So the, it's actually beyond the VPAT. So the VPAT is also something that we look for, but we actually want it. So that, that can be a, a bit of a challenge because a lot of times vendors want to say, well, we have this VPAT, is that sufficient? And we're also looking for a statement that they're developing the tool in a way that would meet accessibility standards okay. in addition to the VPAT. Yeah, and then that goes into our contract with them that they sign that they're going to take steps if, they, if they're not totally accessible, that they're gonna take actionable steps to be accessible. That their product accessible. will be accessible. Yep, and I think the other piece that it demonstrates is our commitment to making sure that any tools that we're procuring will be accessible. And when you're, when you're kind of talking and thinking about accessibility, I mean, how is it, is, is this around inequity? I mean, is it, is it about kind of inequity and access issue? Is it, how, how do you all kind of think about accessibility? I think sometimes it depends on the context of the conversation. So I've spoken more to issues of inclusion and equity. Um, but generally speaking, when we're doing these presentations at schools or things like that, it's, it's, we'll, we'll get at that 
idea of equity, but not actually saying the word and saying we're going to have inclusive design, but we're trying to make our content as accessible and usable to as many of our students as possible. And whatever that barrier may be to access, like we'll address it and we'll address it in an iterative way to make things better going forward more proactively for everybody. And we've had faculty sort of piggyback on that message in the mm -hmm. last faculty meeting, mm -hmm. meeting we're at, for example, pointing out, you know, not just um, for students who might have a documented disability, but if somebody has English as their second language, mm -hmm. making content more accessible will benefit them. If there's students with visual impairments that may not be documented, it still can mm -hmm. be helpful to them. I, I think it's just really thinking about not just the format of the content, but also I think when we talked about UDL, sometimes uh, looking at different ways that students could be presenting their work. I mm -hmm. think we have faculty who are on board with a broader perspective of accessibility as well. Giving mm -hmm. students more choice. Mm -hmm. And I do use that example a lot of second language learners, but also, you know, making your content more accessible to someone, um, like your example, someone on a commute and listening to an MP3, or, you know, it needs to be in a quiet environment and watching a video that has the captions on. So that, that's, do that a lot. that's not necessarily <laughs> like a documented disability, but those are all valuable use cases that we do try to put in front of people. And so how did, you were telling me a little bit earlier about how you kind of came across Ally, mm -hmm. that was kind of through the Blackboard user groups? So actually, I think I, I came across it through, um, through the Blackboard office hours and listserv, so for the community sort of for sysadmins and IT folks primarily, but not exclusively. So sort of people that are supporting Blackboard. And uh, a few, of, I was familiar with it. I had seen it at a conference or something, um, but it was getting very positive reviews in those community spaces uh, for people that had gotten it early on. Um, so I was very, I was very curious. <laughs> and what was, you know, a lot of schools, you know, ask me, or ask our salespeople, you know, how did how did that school get the budget to pay for Ally? What was the business case that was maybe presented in order to secure funding for Ally? Was that a challenge? Because, you know, we've heard like disability services has made the pitch, but they're typically pretty strapped for money. And so what was maybe the business case that you all presented to, to, to make a case for Ally? Um, I think it didn't hurt that we had a very visible focus on accessibility. So in terms of making the case to our finance office, uh, focusing on, yeah, that they were aware of our focus on accessibility and the business case being, you know, this is money saved on any potential complaints. You know, I mean, this is a proactive approach that will mitigate potential issues. Um, and then we, I think we had mentioned earlier that, you know, it was a, a moment in time when the pricing was, um, mm -hmm very competitive, so that also helped. And so um, we, we partnered with IT to split the cost between two departments. So 50-50 yeah. split, and that's and a, yeah. The, the CIO was very um, on our side. Very supportive. Very supportive. Um, she had buy-in our CIO at the time, so. And in terms of the value, I can't imagine what else we could provide that would, again, be integrated with the LMS. And I think it's independent of LMS. We have Blackboard, but we could work with other LMSs where an instructor can go in. They can easily see visually that there's an issue with some of their content. They can get some steps on how to remedy that. I mean, it's, it's very streamlined 
Um, I can't imagine the amount of labor that we could put into something mm -hmm. that this would be comparable yeah. for us, makes it achievable. Whereas if we were just having to reach out to individual faculty or small groups of faculty, it's just not achievable. That's not scalable. And, and I think having access to the data, we haven't done a lot with that, but knowing, but knowing that we could look holistically across the institution to get a measure on, you know, I think seeing some of the data today too on how, how we're doing year over year is a kind of level of analysis we'd want to be looking for to just look at how we're moving the bar collectively, right, on mm -hmm. our overall um, responsiveness. And also sort of being able to look at it and see what are our biggest file type offenders mm -hmm. and using that to create targeted trainings and outreach. Well, let's talk, I guess, about what was the rollout process. So I think you mentioned you had a small pilot first. Yeah, so I um, um, coerced <laughs> a handful of faculty, chased them down. Many of them were um, very willing. Um, so I had maybe, I think, about eight or ten faculty over the summer that we simply um, we got Ally installed. It was a very quick test to make sure it was working. And then we turned it on in those eight, 10 courses and gave the, um, I gave some language to the instructors on how to introduce it to their students. Um, there were a couple of videos, one for the student and one for the instructor that Ally had that I shared with them. And uh, we quickly crafted a, a support page for the students in case they had questions that they could link to. And basically told them to reach out if they had any questions or needed assistance. And then sort of towards the end of that, those first courses, I reached out, I asked, I sent them a survey, uh, which they mostly didn't fill out. But for the most part, it was positive. You know, I, I used that mainly for us to learn what we needed to know, um, if there was any documentation we needed or issues that might crop up so that then when we turned it on for everybody, be prepared. We already knew it was going on for everybody. <laughs> and did you um, did you like consult the institutional report at all before the pilot, or what was not what's before the, the pilot? Like our our time from install to pilot was really only about two weeks. Oh wow! We moved really fast. We we got it through just before the price change. Got it installed. Did some basic training for our team and then um, played around just a little bit and then turned it on for the pilot group and then kept trying to you know make sure we knew what we were talking about so we moved really fast it's the fastest rollout i've ever had here really but it worked really well we didn't have any issues um, again i think the only issues we've had have not been with ally it's been with the communication process with the faculty and uh, understanding uh, what issues are around those documents and whether or not we can alter them and how do we do that. So it's really, the issues have really been more around the documents and uh, sort of training and outreach from the instructors and not ally. And um, so you went live in the fall. We went live with everybody. I turned it on sort of a couple weeks before the fall semester. And what were, did, was there a barrage of emails that happened? What would, what happened? No, there? we had introduced it to groups a couple of times. I had shown it, we have a faculty development day three, day, three days a year. So I had shown it as a coming attraction and looking for piloters in May. 
And then again in September, I'd shown it to people, or did you do the September? You did the September. We did the September. Yeah, yeah you two did the September. Two of them. Not yeah. in September, but two of those kinds of presentations. Yeah, so they did, uh, they sort of took over. So I had shown it um, at the as we were kicking off the pilot to a couple of faculty groups as a coming attraction. And then when we turned it on, they started doing a faculty development day and some other small trainings. And there were a few curious, but not as many as I thought, actually. I had a few people that reached out to me separately or via our ticketing system to say, hey, what's this? Yeah. We put a um, push out in our newsletter, on our blog, and on the login, on the uh, once you log into our Blackboard system, we the have home, um, yeah, the home, the page home page. We have more information about Ally. Yeah, so we had some information that Ally was now available. Here's a link to some more information. So I think a few people clicked on that, hopefully. <laughs> and um, yeah, a few reached out individually to say, what is this and how do I use it? Yeah, I would say it's overall been positive. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it, it's just been sort of a little bit of a learning curve, but nobody's complained that it's there yet that I'm aware of. Maybe they're quietly grousing behind my back. <laughs> <laughs> and any any feedback from students when you rolled out or from the, you said you kind of gave out a survey. I did give out a survey. A couple of people had used it. Um, and I, I, it's been a while since I looked at that information. So a couple of people filled out the, the survey. And, and they had used it and they found them useful. Um, I don't remember what formats they they did, but just you know, being able to download in that alternative format was helpful. From an instructional designer perspective, how do you kind of see those alternative formats um, in, in terms of the pedagogy and your approach to inclusive design? I think they're quite the boon. Um, and but I mentioned the earlier about trying to get instructors more aware that they can give their students choice to how the students access the content. You know, if it's a PowerPoint, not everybody wants to download a PowerPoint, but maybe that could be transformed in Wikipedia for other kinds of things. But also, that um, I, I think it opens up course designs in kind of a nice way too, where it adds more flexibility with um, how things can be presented and built out because someone doesn't need to like, I have to have all of my lectures in a PowerPoint. And for one, we don't really want lectures in these courses. I mean, they're, they're highly facilitated. They're not so much self-paced. So there's gotta be a lot of interactivity. And when you have choice for the kinds of file formats that you can interact with, then that just increases interactivity. <laughs> yeah. So you roll out across the whole campus. Have you been kind of doing any workshops right now? And what's what's been your process for continuing to upskill faculty? We did a workshop at Faculty Development Day in January. Uh, we did one in the fall. We did one in January, and then met with a few people like individually as well. Is that kind of walking them through kind of content remediation strategies and accessible authoring, more or less? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mostly. So in the workshops we've done um, at Faculty Development Day, for example, it's introducing the tool, what it's there for, how it works, general overview on um, accessibility and what this tool does for you. In our one-on-ones or even small groups, it's actually looking at their content and how to make their particular 
content accessible, um, how to use the tool, um, how to fix their content. So a lot of it ends up going back to Microsoft Word and how to fix the content here before you add it back. And you mentioned kind of the first place you've tried to start is the syllabus. Has that been a kind of key document that you focused on? Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of content in some of these courses. So rather than having them feel like they have to do everything all at once, so it's focusing on those high-use documents. Like everybody's going to access your syllabus. You're probably going to use some version of that. For the next course, you're probably going to tweak it a little bit and reuse that instead of creating it all new. So starting with those kind of documents that you're going to use in multiple courses or reuse those content, starting with that, getting that accessible, and then working your way out. So you have this sort of slow, baby step kind of way, but you're getting there. So it, that seems to resonate with them that they feel like they can manage that. And you're not using a syllabus template or anything like that. You're kind of just working with the with the syllabus as they have it and improving it. You said you're doing templates a little bit in the online courses. That that's for the course design yeah. and layout on the whole. But we do there are syllabi templates, but it's almost more of a political issue because each school kind of has its own look and feel. Yeah. So um, the provost office would likely near likely need to spearhead more of a concerted effort around having a one template for all syllabi that has properly formatted headers and things like that and some sort of instructional language that helps people you know yeah. add in the alt text that they need to do. There's some discussions going on about mm -hmm. that. We're just not there yet. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard, I know it's a hard one to convince faculty to use a template. And I've also seen campuses that had a template that they were making faculty use that wasn't accessible. Right. And then it's getting dinged and the faculty's yeah. like, but I'm using the template that you made me use. And right. so it's... Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the other, the other um, advantage of uh, if there's a template that they can use is then hopefully it has the correct disability services statement and mm -hmm. it has the correct accessible <laughs> and all of that so that as that stuff gets updated, mm -hmm. they don't have a statement um, or whatever the, the statement is that's four years old. <laughs> Referencing people who are no longer here. Referencing people contact this person when they left three years ago. <laughs> that accessibility working committee I mentioned earlier, th this is actually one of the agenda items for the group. Mm -hmm. So, and there's representatives from disability services, from the various schools, from the provost's office, from our department, from, from IT. Other places, yeah, so the library. library. So it's a pretty broad group focusing on some real efforts. And that that group started before Ally. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Long it's, before Ally. Yeah. It started initially um, as part of the um, OCR look at our public facing website. So, but broader than that, you know, they chose not to mm -hmm. just address the one issue, but mm -hmm. to look across at making sure that. The, uh, the statement is in the contracts for software that we purchase or technologies that we purchase that everyone can use it and making sure that the softwares we're using for our staff as well, that they can access the softwares that they need to use. Um, I mean, so much is just, you know, you need to submit your time off, you know, your, your hours for that week, that that's accessible and that usable. But, and then moving to course content and things like that. So really looking across everything and trying to be proactive 
so the, the task force kind of brought together various pieces of the campus. Mm -hmm. I mean, has Ally now entered into that conversation at all? Is there, you know, is, is Disability Services kind of taking advantage of Ally in any type of way? What's the relationship there? I'm not sure, I'm not sure what Disability Services is doing. Um, they're not often enrolled in courses that they don't teach. They can be at the request of the instructor if necessary. Um, and we try to coordinate and communicate with them as much as possible, and I know they're aware of it. Um, uh, one of their um, team was supposed to be at the workshop today. She had a last-minute cancellation. But um, so we try to communicate with them as much as possible. Um, we have made uh, the task force aware of Ally um, because three members of the e-learning department sit on that. So that when uh, when it goes into course content, that's where we speak up. So letting them know that it's there and that we're working with faculty on that end. Again, that wasn't the primary focus of the task force as it when it was convened, but they saw no reason to limit themselves. <laughs> and now, so you basically finished your first semester, kind of fully rolled out. You're in your second semester. Mm -hmm. What's um? I mean, what do you see as Kind of your biggest challenge kind of right now you know especially we did a review we kind of mm -hmm. put you see your institutional report what would you say is your kind of biggest barrier biggest challenge at the moment pdfs that the instructor doesn't actually own the content for mm -hmm. like they've gotten it from a third party wherever that third party was and it's in a pdf format they don't have the original document so making that accessible and having that conversation i think that's the biggest challenge um, alt text is easier because we know how to fix we know what the answer to that is so do we just sort of have to get them to do it but for us the the challenge of uh, an existing PDF that's not accessible or a scanned an old chapter that got scanned and is not in the greatest of shape mm -hmm. of deciding what the plan is for that so yeah I think that's where we're a little stuck right now, figuring out what the best plan is for that. And being consistent with that answer. Mm -hmm. Getting the libraries, um, the librarians' thoughts on that and their interpretations of how that applies to copyright law and what we are able and not able to do. And make sure the message gets out to everyone, this is what we're able to do overall this is what we're able to do when we have a student with a documented um, disability that requires assistance. Um, just making sure everything's laid out crystal clear on this is the page we're all on. Yeah, so some of the things and some of the things we've been doing is um, the library has, you know, in terms of documentation and training that's more on demand is the library has a accessibility statement for all of their databases and content types. We have one for sort of an, a checklist type of thing, although it's fairly long, <laughs> um, content types so people can go through and it's in the form of questions, you know, does your images have alt text? Did you do this? Did you do that? And they can kind of just walk through and go yes, no, whatever for their, what, is it a PDF, is it a Word document or a PowerPoint or an image, whatever, and uh, with links out to documentation on how to fix it. So kind of creating that outside of Ally that we can easily link to as well and um, our instructional design team is creating kind of a 
for lack of a better word, compliance, so a little uh, self-paced module on accessibility that people can walk through that is using some of this content. So um, I think we've mostly got ourselves up to speed. You know, there's always the question we don't know the answer to. Mm -hmm. um, so now making sure we all have the same answers <laughs> and are communicating out a consistent message to the faculty that is something that they feel like they can do, that it's not beyond their capabilities. Yeah, and you mentioned, I mean, early on, it was you kind of pursuing and, and upskilling your own knowledge. Yes. Has that been a kind of team-wide endeavor of really kind of building your skills and, and knowledge I, I around? I would say the best way to like build those skills, because Danielle mentioned the same thing, um, that I, for the accessibility checklist, I just didn't have time, so I tasked her to do it. And having to go find out what those answers are and how to do it so she could write the documentation was the best way to get her skills up to date. So I was like, I didn't realize the reading order in PowerPoint was like this. Yes. Fascinating. <laughs> I feel like, like I a lot get of it I knew about, but some of it I didn't. And a few things um, I knew about but didn't know how to fix. I'm like, oh, how do I do that? Yeah. Oh, right, like that. Like the obvious things, the headers, the tagging, the alt text, those were all things that were already in my skill set and I was already using. But then to go back through some of the other things, like the re like I said, the reading order in PowerPoint was, I had yeah. no idea it worked like that. I feel like I want to give that assignment to everybody in the department now because it's, it's that typical thing. Don't just read about it. Go do it. Mm -hmm. So if everybody had to write something <laughs> about how do you do this, they would actually learn how. Isn't it funny? Good pedagogy applies across, across the board, everything. right? It's uh, yeah. learn by doing, whether it's in the classroom or in your own personal learning. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. Well, kind of, I guess in closing out, so, you know, it sounds like you have a plan here. You've got kind of your areas that you're focusing on. You've got some still existing challenges that you're working through. You know, was there anything surprising when we looked at the data review? Anything eye-opening that is kind of shifting your there direction? Were, or There were more downloads of the alternative formats than I expected. And more, I think, uh, actually, um, which is encouraging, I think I felt like the number of people who at least attempted to fix one of the documents was higher than I expected. So that's really encouraging. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised because our faculty really, I think, do want to do the right thing. They're just like everybody else, they're so busy. Yeah. So, um, but that was that was nice to see. The amount of scanned PDF seems to be going down a little bit. That makes me happy. <laughs> yes. Always a good thing. That's Always one of the- <laughs> Some good progress on the alt yes. text. That was, mm -hmm. that looked really good. So that's definitely something there. And the header, the headings, the headings. headings was yeah. really good. I've been pushing that with people as a, a work saver for them. <laughs> so in the what's in it for me, <laughs> this is what's in that for you. And by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely, I mean, I talked about it in the workshop too. It really yeah. improved my content authoring, using yeah. and styling and mm -hmm. being consistent there, really much more usable. Do you think instructors are kind of drinking the Kool-Aid, that there are benefits to all students. I mean, it's something that we push around in our messaging. Do you see that happening? I, I would say yes. I mean, we are a sort of a unique population in some ways uh, that our primary programs are, you know, school of ed. So you have education faculty who, you know, went in because they wanted to help people. We have art therapy and counseling psych. 
So these are people who are, you know, dealing with people who have challenges and may have, you know, accessibility challenges, whether they're cognitive or physical. So they want to help these people. So I, we've now given them the tools to do that. So um, I think they, they now that they know, they want to fix it. It's just really it is a learning how and finding the time. So helping them create a plan. Really cool to hear from Robin, Christina, Danielle, and Heather about their journey to a more inclusive education. Go from their websites to their course content to their course designs. That spirit of social justice, equity, access really permeates across all their activities. It's, it's the spirit of that campus and it's exciting to see them using Ally as part of that broader solution to providing their students a more inclusive experience. So where's the tour going next? Well, check out the map at tour.ally.ac and look out for episode three coming soon. Join the tour along with the rest of the Ally community at tour.ally.ac. You can catch the latest updates on Instagram and Twitter at hashtag AllyTour2019. And listen to stories of inclusion from our community champions on the Ally Tour 2019 podcast series, available on SoundCloud or in your favorite podcast app. We'll look forward to seeing you at the next stop on the road to Inclusivity.